Well, good morning. Hey, if you are new with us, just want to welcome you. My name is Trent Thompson, one of the pastors here on staff, and we're so glad that you've joined us for Advent. Uh, we've come together to focus on the Lord. We've been entering into the story of Advent, trying to really put ourselves in the place of Mary and Joseph and the, the, just the different characters in the biblical narrative, and so we're going to attempt to do that again, continuing today. Um, I wanted to begin our worship. We normally would begin with the lighting of our Advent candle, and we're going to do that. Then we're going to sing to the Lord, and then we'll hear the Word of God preached, and but I needed to begin today uh, with sharing with you all a confession that the Lord put on my heart and the elders have confirmed that this would be wise and good. So one, the pulpit's not the place, it's not my personal confessional uh, vehicle. We never wanna turn it into that, that would be inappropriate. But there's something I, I needed to share from two weeks ago. I didn't wanna do it during Kids for Him last week and interrupt the kids uh, in what they were doing and sharing with us that the Lord laid on my heart, and it was uh, just a confession of sin from while I was preaching, which is why I wanted to share it with you all. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, I, I don't know that you would, but I was talking about from the text when God says to Mary, I'm gonna be with you in everything that you're going through. Uh, and in that moment as I was sharing that, I couldn't recall in my mind the reason from the text why, the, why that point was the, the application. And it truly is the application of the text, but I couldn't recall why. And in that moment, I had an opportunity just to say the point and move on, but I made a choice in that moment to pretend that I had information that I didn't have. I shared, oh, it was this in the text or that in the text. And even if I had been right about that, which I, I was, and I went back and looked and went, oh, it's actually a different reason uh, why this is the point the text is making. Even if I'd been right, it still would have been sin because I was conveying that I had knowledge that I didn't have. I was conveying something that I didn't know to be true. And one of the things that we value as a church, that I value as your pastor, is that the preaching of the word of God has to be done with absolute integrity. Um, that matters very much. And so the Lord, because he's really good to us and doesn't let us stay in our sin the next morning, I didn't think about it afterwards. It didn't occur to me that I had done that, which is how blind we can be to our own sin. But then the next morning, I opened my just regular daily reading in the scriptures, and this is what God brought to me. Uh, this was in my, it was just in the schedule for my reading, and it says this. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, talking about being a minister of the gospel, says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That just struck me like a thunderbolt when I read it. And I, the, the Lord, well, yeah, I received that. Thank you, that's very kind. Um, so listen, I share it with you, uh, and I asked the elders, I thought it would be wise and good, and they affirmed that uh, to share it with you all, and they were very gracious to me. We always wanna submit ourselves to the authority over us and, and put ourselves under that authority for any correction that we need. Um, but I needed to confess it to you all because it happened during the preaching of the word. Uh, that sin on my part. My commitment to you uh, and my commitment to the elders is to try to walk in repentance, to, uh, to change my ways and to not uh, allow my sin patterns to enter into the preaching of the word of God. I, am, I will fail again and again, I'm sure, but I, I never wanna fail intentionally. And in that moment, in that split second, I made a decision to try to appear to be something I am not, uh, to appear to have knowledge that I was not, and that was sin. And so I needed to bring that to you all. I don't know how to ask a, a room full of hundreds of people for forgiveness. I know you can't all come and go, oh, I forgive you, or I don't. Or, um, but I did need to bring it in confession. 
Well, you're kind. Um, so I, I don't want the attention to remain there, uh, although it's good when we bring forth confession to remember the Lord is merciful and he forgives and we never have to be afraid uh, to do that. So as hard as it can be sometimes, and it's not easy. So, uh, But let's turn our attention to the Lord and to his worship. Uh, we are gonna see Mary's song of praise today uh, in Luke chapter one. And as we do, we're gonna try to enter into those words of worship. And, and we're, so we're gonna sing together and we're gonna praise the Lord and we're gonna hear from his word. Uh, so let me pray for us. And then the Woodworths are gonna come and they're gonna uh, help us with our Advent reading today. <clears throat> So Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, my, my people who I love are, are merciful and gracious as you are merciful and gracious. And so thank you for that expression. Um, I pray that it would give all of us courage to, uh, to never be afraid to know that we can come with confession and we'll receive mercy. So we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, would you be honored uh, in your people today as we ponder your word and we come into your presence through uh, the singing of praise to you pray that you would strengthen our team who's leading us now. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you have for us today. We are your people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's sing together.
Yes, Jesus, we love you. And our affection is fully for you, Lord. And as we continue in our time this morning worshiping you, let us not remove our hearts from what we have to hear, Lord. But um, we pray that you would speak into us and hear the words that you have for us. Lord, all of our affection, all of our devotion, we pour out for you, Lord. So be with us now as we hear your word and speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, team. Well, if you remember, last week we, uh, well, we heard from our kids last week who gave us a beautiful visual demonstration of the incarnation and the, helped us enter into the story of God in coming into the world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, prior to that, the week before, we talked about when Gabriel came to Mary and spoke to her about the birth of Jesus. And when he did, he emphasized two things, that the son who would be born to her would be the king in the line of David who came to rule over us and the divine son who came to save us. And that both those things are uh, the work of Jesus that he came to do in the incarnation. And so we're gonna continue forward in that story, just making our way through the narrative of the birth of Jesus, which brings us now to the, what is known in church history as the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise in response to what God has done. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 46 through 56. Luke chapter one, verse 46 through 56. And as you're turning there, I'll kind of catch you up in the story. One thing has happened between uh, Gabriel's visit to Mary and now the song that we're going to see Mary sing or the praise we're going to see her offer to the Lord, and that's that she has gone to visit her relative Elizabeth. And if you remember, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus. He's uh, anointed by God to do a specific work in preparing the world for the presence of the Son of God. And so Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary goes to visit her, and we see this really uh, rising activity of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that is so thematically powerful and poignant in the Gospels is that there's been these 400 years of silence, and now every page of the Gospels, really in particular Luke, begins with this emphasis on the Spirit is doing this, the Spirit is doing that, the Spirit is moving in this way, he's the one doing the work. And you see what the emphasis is, is he's going... We've gone from the silence of the Holy Spirit to this very active movement of the Holy Spirit, which is going to then emphatically be present in the work of Jesus. And so the Spirit causes John in the womb of Elizabeth to jump when he hears the voice of Mary. Now imagine some women, you can imagine a little better than we men can. But can you imagine what that must have felt like? And what we're told is that John was going to be full of the Spirit from the womb, from before he was born, and and here's the evidence of it. He doesn't hear the voice of Jesus, he just hears the voice of the mother of Jesus, the savior of the world is coming, and he, in utero, reacts in the power of the spirit to just the presence of Mary in the room. Is that amazing? You just kind of put yourself in the story. It's such an amazing moment. I mean, I know, you know, you've, you've maybe felt a, a baby kick, right? Or you've put your hand on the belly and, and felt it kick. But John is not just kicking like a normal human child. He's jumping for joy in the womb because the Savior of the world is coming and he knows it. It's amazing. And that elicits a response from Mary, which is this song or this psalm or this statement of praise that she offers And really what this phrase, what this uh, whole piece of poetry, if you will, is about, this whole declaration of praise, 
It's a, it's a reminder to us that the incarnation is cause for praise. It is like a magnifying glass on the character and nature of God. The incarnation reveals things about God that call for praise, that just absolutely shout like you praise God for all that he is. And all, that's revealed in the very first word she speaks, and then she's just gonna spend the rest of the time unpacking things about God himself. And so my prayer for you and uh, for myself is that this Advent, that you would be refreshed in the worship of God. That's the application of our text today, that you'd be refreshed in your offering praise to God, that you would see that the incarnation opens this massive doorway for praise. If your, phrase, if your praise has felt tired, if your prayers have felt tired, I hope that during this Advent season, you wouldn't just grow in nostalgia of fun family, you know, memories and traditions, but that what God would do is he would take hold of your heart in reminding you again this year that he has come to earth to be with you and that he would absolutely infuse your praise with more joy, more power, more poignancy, because you see him for who he is revealed through his son come into the world. So let's look at the text together, shall we? And here, let's do this. Let's not read the whole thing at once. Let's just take it piece by piece. Sometimes I find that's helpful. It's helpful to follow that way. Sometimes I find if I just take a piece at a time, I can follow it a lot better than if I try to, to just kind of swallow it all at once, right? So let's take small bites today. And let's find then in verse 46, it says, and Mary said, and let's see what she said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, in those two lines, what she's giving us is, the, is really something of what worship is in its, in its very essence. Now, there's place in worship for, God, here's what you've done for me. Uh, there's place in worship for, and I want to respond with love for my neighbor. That's all right and fitting for praise. But the very center of praise is a zooming in on, a focus on all that God is in his nature and rejoicing in it. That's what she's saying. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What she's saying is, there is as if God's character, if it were distant and I could see it like just a little bit, like a speck in the distance, what the incarnation is doing is taking that very nature and character and bringing it right here in front of my face right here in front of my eyes. It's magnified for me. Now, when we talk about magnifying something in the earth, we think about, if I talk about magnifying you or uh, some team I like or something like that, we, we kind of take it as meaning we're talking about how wonderful they are, right? Is that how you kind of use that phrase? Like, oh, I'm magnifying. I'm talking about how wonderful it is. And that's absolutely true. Often when we think about magnifying something, we might think about making it seem a little greater than it is like kind of focusing on it to that degree, but that's not the case with God. We're not trying to make him greater than he is. All that we need to do is simply focus in on what he is. And so when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, what she's saying is the deepest part of me, my soul, my spirit, the very central, central part of my personhood is completely focused on all that God is. Not on myself, not on others. The very center of my worship is placing my attention on all that God is as he's revealed himself through this work that he's doing by coming to the world in this child that I'm gonna give birth to. So my encouragement to you is this, is during this Advent season, what Mary's inviting us to is a kind of praise that says, I am dead set on putting my attention fully on God. 
not a distractedness, not a, I'm running around, I got 10,000 gifts to buy, you know, or I've got all these different parties to prepare for, I've got this event after that event after this event. Would you, during this Advent, slow down? Give your attention. Zoom in on who God is. The incarnation is an invitation to do that. And then, not just so that you identify, as Mary's gonna go through these beautiful attributes of God that are cause for praise. They're revealed by the birth of Jesus, and they're, they're the source of her praise. But she's not content just to zoom in on them, to magnify them in front of her eyes and say, oh, I see them with greater clarity now. I understand them. What is the next phrase she says? And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The center of worship is to see God as he is, to zoom in on him, if you will, and then to rejoice in all that he is. It's not enough just to know facts about God. It's not enough just to say, oh, God is this way. He is strong. Oh, he is wise. He is humble. He is gracious. These are all good things to know, but there is a greater call upon our lives, and that call is to rejoice in those things, to say, I delight that you are the way that you are. Everything about you is pleasing to me. I want you to capture that phrase and just think about repeating it back to God, maybe in your own words, but what does it look like to say to you, everything about who you are is pleasing to me. There's no one else in the entire universe about whom we can say that. But we can say about God, everything about you is pleasing to me. And when I find that in my spirit something questions something about who you are, something about your nature that I don't understand, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because I don't rightly see you. I don't rightly comprehend you. I don't rightly understand you. But here's the beauty. The birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, is an invitation to now see God as he truly is. What did Jesus say when he grew up in his ministry? He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So the incarnation is an invitation to see God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now let's see where Mary goes from there. So that's the first thing she says. She gives us something of the essence of worship and then she goes on to say, after saying my spirit rejoices in the Lord, the very first thing she highlights about God is that she says he has for, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She, she emphasizes his might and his holiness. If you see those two things, did you see them in the text, yes? He is mighty, he is holy. All generations are gonna call me blessed. But what did you notice before? She says, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Now there's two things we need to see there. I, I guess there's actually three. The first is what does it mean to look upon something? She doesn't just mean that God sees these things about her. He doesn't just see her humble estate. He sees it and chooses her in spite of it. That's what she means. He's looked upon me and not turned away. He's looked upon me and delighted in what he sees and used me. Now, here's what's important. She didn't say, he's looked upon my righteousness. He's looked upon my wisdom. He's looked upon my whatever, fill in the way. She didn't note an attribute of hers that is particularly positive that would cause God to go, yeah, this is the one. She says, he's looked upon my humble estate. And there's two things that that phrase means synonymously. It can be used in either of these ways. And I think Luke intends and Mary, or the Lord speaking through Mary, intends us to see them both. That phrase can be used to mean your low social state. 
or your low moral state. And I think both are intended here. So Mary doesn't come from a family of wealth, means, privilege, position, power. She didn't have any of that. She didn't have anything by way of what the world values to offer to God that would make it like, yeah, yeah, if you pick me, I'm gonna have all these resources that are gonna be available to be used. I mean, your son will be raised in the finest of conditions, right? In a minute, we're gonna find he gets born in a stable, right? This is the opposite of the way we would expect. Everything about Jesus coming into the world is meant to surprise you. Everything about this narrative is meant to turn your ideas upside down and on their head about the way God would possibly work or enter the world. The lowliness and humility of it is astounding. We're gonna see that even more in the weeks to come. But here's what she's saying. I don't, I don't have social standing. And then she goes on to say, he's, he's recognized this humble state. Now the other side of that humble estate is her low moral standing. And I don't mean there that Mary is of lower moral condition than you or I. I mean that she's recognizing she's like everybody else. There have been some doctrines in the history of certain strains of the church that have taught that Mary is somehow without sin or Mary is somehow special or unique in her holiness. And it's not true. Mary's just a woman. She's just, that's, that's part of the point of the incarnation is that human beings are not righteous. God is. But here's the beauty of this. Now, so she, she is recognizing both her low social standing, the fact that she's a sinner just like you and me in need of God's mercy. She is not special in her holiness or her righteousness in such a way that it would cause God to go, okay, here's the one person I can use to bring my son into the world. But then she notes two things I think related to the first things. She says, his strength, his might. Okay, go back to it and look at what she says again. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. All generations will call me blessed. And then verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things. She emphasizes the might of God because what she's saying is you're so strong that you don't need someone of high social standing to accomplish your purposes. You can use people of low social standing. It doesn't matter how much money, prestige, power, positional authority, none of that matters. You have chosen to use me in spite of the fact that I don't really have anything of worldly value to offer. And friends, here's what that means for us. The incarnation is a revelation that nothing will get in the way of God accomplishing his purposes in your life. If you yield yourself to him, there is no lack of resources that will prevent him from doing what he wants to do in your life. If you yield yourself to him, there is no amount of intellectual uh, you know, strength or weakness that will prevent him from accomplishing what he wants you to accomplish. All the limitations that you feel like when you look in the mirror and you think, I wish I were more blank. Does something come to mind? Don't shout it out. I don't need to. You know, but we all have that. We all have something where we look in the mirror and go, I wish I was more this. Those limitations that you experience, they're intended by God because you're just a vessel, a jar of clay, through whom he intends to get glory. He doesn't fill you with every strength or everything because he gets the credit, he gets the honor, he gets the glory. And friend, here's, here's the great news. When you think about the incarnation this Advent, would you remember that Mary said, I'm of low estate, and yet God used her. And there's nothing that will prevent him from using you if you will yield to him. Is that, is that good news? Man, praise God. 
Now, it's not just her low social standing that she comments on, right? So then where does she go next? You might expect her to go, oh man, praise God, his might, his strength. And she could comment on any other aspect of God's nature, and you might expect them to be something in the vein of his might, something in the vein of his power. But she doesn't. She turns to this, and holy is his name. Why does she begin to praise God for his holiness? This is why I think it relates back to the double use of that humble estate. Because she says, I'm of low social standing, but that won't prevent you because you're mighty. You're so strong, that doesn't get in your way. I'm also, just like everybody else, a sinner of low moral standing. But your holiness is so good that it can be imputed to me. My lack of holiness will not prevent you from doing what it is that you're going to do through my life. The incarnation, just try to wrap your mind around this. The incarnation is a declaration from God that humanity and holiness are not incompatible. Here's what I mean by that. In our own strength, yes, we are not holy. We are sinners from birth. We're born into sin and unrighteousness, and we are guilty. By virtue of being part of the humanity, we are guilty of being in rebellion against God. But the incarnation is the declaration that holiness can be given to you. Not your holiness, not earned holiness, not deserved holiness, but holiness that Jesus is able to bring to you to make you right with God. There's a righteousness available in the person of Christ. And that's why I think she says, you've seen my lowest state, and she praises God for his holiness. She praises him for all that he's able to do. So friends, the incarnation is that invitation. It's that magnifying glass, if you will, to say, oh my goodness, you are able to bring holiness to me in spite of my humble estate. Would you say with Mary, I'm a person of humble estate? Yeah. And God will not let that stand in the way. All right, now let's look at the next thing that she praises God for. And she says this. She comments on the holiness of God, and then in verse 50 she said, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This follows nicely on the tales of singing about the holiness of God. When you come in contact with a holy God, he has to infuse you with his holiness, and he's going to have to exercise mercy to do so. Mercy means to forgive sin, yes? So when she says, man, your mercy is for those who fear you from generation to generation, what it means to fear God is to to come to him and be in awe of all that he is. To absolutely be astounded and in awe by all that he is. And here's what the incarnation is doing. It's revealing all that God is. The person of God is revealed in the person of Jesus. And so when she says, those who will come to you in fear, in awe, in a sense of you are other than me and greater and grander and bigger if you will come to him and receive him for all that he is and all that he is is now revealed in a human. It's revealed in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man. If you'll come to him in that way, through Jesus, through this one who's about to be born, then his mercy is for you from generation to generation. Why does she say that? Because she's saying that's how it will always be. From generation to generation, if your parents sought the mercy of God through Jesus, they found it. If their parents sought the mercy of Jesus, the mercy of God through Jesus, they found it. If you have sought 
the mercy of God through Jesus, if your kids have sought the mercy of God through Jesus, they found it. And their kids, and their kids, and their kids, from generation to generation, it will never change. It will always be the fact that all who come to God, as he's revealed himself in Jesus, this one who's to be born through Mary, will receive mercy. So friends, what does that mean for us as we think about praising God for his mercy? I mean, again, the application of this text is praise God for all that he is. Praise him for his mercy, but it also means this. You don't have to be afraid to confess your sin. You don't have to be afraid. It's hard. That's not easy to do, but you don't have to be afraid because you need to be right with God more than you need to impress people. Guard your soul, don't guard your reputation. Who cares what anybody else says? And here's the beauty, if the people of God are walking in the spirit of God, then they know how much they've been forgiven and they'll forgive you in the person of Christ because of the incarnation. Confession, repentance, they're met with forgiveness. They're not met with condemnation. They're met with mercy. Praise God. You don't have to be afraid. The, the movement of the Spirit of God depends, not depends upon, the movement of the Spirit of God is often given in response to a lowering of self, to a confession of sin, to a humbling, to those who don't care what others think about them but want to be right with God. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Next thing we see Mary say, it's not just the mercy. So we've seen him rejoice in his strength. We've seen him rejoice in his holiness. We've seen her rejoice in his mercy. And now in verse 51 through 53, she says the incarnation zooms in on the justice of God. That he's not gonna leave everything the way it's been. So in verse 51, she says he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, friends, the point of that text is not that if you're rich, you're in trouble or that wealth is incompatible with following God. It's not what they're saying. It's not that positions of authority are incompatible with following God. It's that key phrase when he said, he has brought the proud, those who are proud, he's brought them low. And then those other categories follow because what he's saying, what Mary is saying, sorry, not he, what Mary is saying is that the incarnation is a revelation, not just that God saves individual sinners who will come to him and seek his mercy, it's that he's gonna make everything that's wrong right one day. Every effect of sin, so every person who's used their money in an unjust way, they're proud, and therefore they've taken money and used it to oppress or to manipulate or to control or to perform ungodliness in the world or bring it into the world, he will undo that. He will turn it on its head. He will bring that and that person low, but he will bring the humble and exalt them. Those who have used their positions of authority in inappropriate and ungodly ways, he will lower them and he will raise those who have bowed to him. See, right here in this moment, what Mary is doing is, is almost, I talked about this zooming in on the very nature of God, but what she's really doing is kind of now zooming back, if you will, on the whole work of God 
across the course of redemptive history. And she's saying, as sure as it is that I'm going to give birth to the Son of God, what that means is that one day, everything that's wrong in the world will be made right. No injustice will stand. Just as you can turn to God and say, I've been unjust, and seek his forgiveness and receive mercy, where that forgiveness is not sought, when injustice is done to you, when oppression is brought against you, he will undo its effects. There will come a day where when he returns again, he will make all things new. I like the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it for our kids when it says he's making everything wrong come undone. The incarnation has cosmic impact, universal impact, not just working in individual hearts, but working across all of creation to undo everything that was wrong. And so in that way, Mary is praising God by bringing together not just his first coming. Now think with me now, because we, every advent, are intended to enter into a sense of anticipation. We're trying to recapture again what it was like to be the people of God waiting and longing for the promised Messiah. Can you feel the longing of that? You try to, you try to seize it, but, but we live here on the other side of knowing. We know his name is Jesus. We know he's coming. We know what he's done. We know how he's accomplished it. But the reason we try to go back and recapture a sense of what it would have been like to wait and anticipate who was gonna come and what was he gonna be like and how was he gonna save and how was he gonna redeem? You've promised him, Lord, and we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. It's because we're still waiting, but we're waiting for him to come again. And as we capture that sense of anticipation, we're reminded we live with the tension of anticipation for the day that he will come and make all things new, undo every unjust impact in the world and change it all. As sure as he came the first time, he will come the second time. And as sure as he brought mercy for sinners the first time, he will bring judgment upon all evil the second time. We live in anticipation of the righteous judgment of God, and that's what Mary is praising him for. He is just, and he will bring his justice through this one who will be the ruler of the nations, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the king the government will rest upon his shoulders. And of his rule, there will be no end. Praise God. The last thing Mary comments on that draws forth her praise, the last thing the incarnation causes to kind of zoom in in front of her eyes is this. In verse 54 now, she says, he's helped his servant Israel. So she's commenting about her own people, her own nation. She says, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So something about the birth of this child is, is related to her people, the nation of Israel. He's remembered his mercy towards Israel as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, that might seem like an odd ending to a song of praise. If you were writing this song of praise, that might not be where you ended. But she's not just commenting on some esoteric point of history. What she's saying is, all the way back in Genesis 12, God, you promised to Abraham, our forefather, you promised that you would send the Savior of the world, the Redeemer, through him, and that it would be a blessing to all the nations, to Israel and then to all the nations through this one, and the child in my womb is the fulfillment of that promise. What she's saying is, I praise you, God, because you keep your promises. 
And the incarnation, church family, is an invitation not just to see that God fulfilled this one promise to Abraham that he made by sending Jesus into the world, but that he will keep every promise. If he kept that one, and that one involved God becoming a human, what promise will he not keep to you? In Jesus, you have the promise of justification that you will be righteous before God when you stand in his presence. And just as he kept this promise, he will keep that promise. You will be righteous before the Lord at the day of judgment. He's promised that he has adopted you into his son, into his uh, family through Jesus. And that promise he will keep, you will always be his child. He will never turn his back on you or turn away from you. He has promised that his love is everlasting, that it is steadfast, that nothing can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus. And just as he kept this promise, he will keep that promise. You will never be unloved, never alone and never apart from his love. He has promised that he does not break a bruised reed. He knows how to be gentle with you. He is gentle and lowly and humble of heart. He knows how to comfort you in your despair and your loss. And just as sure as he kept this promise, he'll keep that one. He's promised that he will sanctify you over the course of your life. And just as sure as he kept that promise, he will keep this one. He has promised that one day you will be glorified and resurrected in a body like Jesus is resurrected from the grave. And just as sure as he kept the promise of the incarnation, he will keep that promise to you. The promises of God are many and every one of them is yes and amen in Christ Jesus and the incarnation is the guarantee of it. Do you see it? The incarnation is a, is a, it's meant to explode your imagination into remembering that everything God has promised he will do. Not one of his promises will be left unanswered, unfulfilled. That's astounding because think about how many promises you've made that you with good intention, wanted to fulfill, and never did. I bet I could bring you up here and the list would be pretty long. Not one of the promises of God will go unkept. Not a single one. And as we think about the birth of Jesus, we're invited to praise God for that fact, that he keeps his promises. So friends, let me just kind of recap, right? and then we're gonna sing again to conclude our time of worship together and remind us The incarnation is an invitation to worship God, to set the very center of ourselves on the person of God and see who he is and rejoice in him. And Mary guides us in that by showing us that he is strong, that he is holy, that he is merciful, praise God, that he keeps his promises and that he will undo everything that is wrong in the world and every impact of injustice that's been. So this Advent, shall we praise him for those things? Yeah, let's praise God. Uh, Stand with me, and I'll pray, and then we'll conclude our time by singing praise to God. Father, we thank you for all that you are and the fact that we can know who you are. We wouldn't have any hope of knowing you if you hadn't chosen to reveal yourself, but you have, and you've done it in the person of Jesus, and we celebrate that during the Advent season. We remember that when we behold the baby in the manger, we are beholding you. We thank you for sending your son into the world. We treasure him, and we treasure you through him, and we make our appeal to you through him as you've taught us to do. You're worthy of all our praise. So take hold of our hearts during this month now. 
and bring about the praise of your people of which you are worthy and you alone are worthy. We praise you. Now we offer you praise in this moment together as a church family. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sing together, his mercy is more. Praise the
about the mercy of the Lord. Just before you receive the benediction, I want to do just one piece of housekeeping. You know that every Christmas we take up a, a, an offering for some of our ministry partners around the world. And in addition to thinking about the, the church directly in your year-end giving, we want to invite you to prayerfully consider uh, how you would participate in this offering. So these ministry partners are doing amazing work. I just want to highlight it very quickly for you. Number one is our partners in India. They have a really small goal of planting 200,000 churches in the next 15 years in 200,000 different villages. I love these brothers and their heart for the gospel and the power of their work. They do uh, vacation Bible school programs. They're gonna, we're gonna try to support 50,000 villages worth of vacation Bible school programs to help kids hear the gospel. Uh, so that's one of our offerings. Youth Sports Ministry in Jordan, one of our uh, partners in Mafrak who ministers to Syrian refugees who have crossed the border. Mafrak is just on the very northern tip of Jordan. Uh, they do a lot of work with Syrian refugees and so their sports ministry is exploding and we're going to get to help support some of that and then clean water in Senegal through some ministry partners there and then finally uh, helping with some media equipment for this ministry in Burkina Faso who ministers to children who are living on the street and giving them the opportunity to hear the gospel through some uh, different technological advances that will bless this ministry. So that's what we're going to be giving to uh, at the Christmas candlelight services. You can give there. You can give online as well. And I just wanted you to know about it so over the next coming weeks, you could be prayerfully considering how God will invite you to participate. Okay? All right. Our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray with you and uh, just in any need that you find in your life. And I'm going to pray over you as you go now. Lord Jesus, as your people leave this place, may they go in the joy of the incarnation, the peace that's been declared through it, peace on earth and goodwill towards those with whom you are pleased and you are pleased with those who come to you through your son. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glory and the beauty of the incarnation and that it would fill us with refreshed and renewed praise for you in the power of your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. You're dismissed.